When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listeners and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of My Heart is in Ohio. Is your heart in Ohio? Always. Yeah, me too. By 12 Minute Mile. These boys from Cincinnati are the featured Ohio musical artists tonight, so stick around to the end of the podcast. We're going to tell you a little bit more about them and let you hear the rest of that song. Right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our researcher and storyteller, Paula Schleiss, an award-winning journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everyone. Steve, do you remember actress Agnes Moorhead? No. Doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, you know her. If you're a baby boomer, I probably don't have to tell you who Agnes Moorhead is. She spent 40 years in the filming industry. Her shtick was portraying haughty, arrogant women, puritanical matrons, and neurotic spinsters. It was a skill that earned her four nominations for Academy Awards. Her films included some of the greatest classics of all time, Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons, Dark Passage, Showboat, and Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. I'm not a boomer. I still don't know who this is. Right, because if you're younger than me, here's where you will remember her. Especially if you watch TV Land and the old reruns of Bewitched, you'll know Agnes Best as Endora, Samantha's mother. That was her fam- most famous role. Oh, still don't know who she is. You never watched Bewitched? No. That really? Time. Who cares? It's like on repeat <laughs> forever. I'm going to Google uh, her, though. Well, yeah, you better. Agnes's family had a farm in Muskingum County, Ohio. And while her career took her from New York to Hollywood, she went to college here, cut her acting chops here, retired here, and is buried in the family plot in Dayton. Here's the thing. When Agnes died of uterine cancer on April 30, 1974, she joined an extraordinary list of people who may have been killed by a movie they made. In 1956, eccentric entrepreneur Howard Hughes released a film he hoped would be an epic achievement of his life. It was called The Conqueror. It was about the Mongolian warrior Genghis Khan and Hughes' choice as the location for his sweeping battle scenes was St. George, Utah. 
Unfortunately, St. George was downwind of an active nuclear testing site. And in 1980, an investigation by People magazine determined that of 220 cast and crew on that movie, 91 had developed cancer, 46 of them terminal. Among the dead, the director Dick Powell, co-stars John Wayne and Susan Hayward, and our Agnes Moorhead. So let me tell you a little about Agnes, and then I'll get into the controversy. I mostly know Agnes as an older woman with a really stern face and very sharp features, but I put some photos of her younger self on our website. One look, and you're going to see why she chose acting. She was a knockout. She was born in the year 1900 in Clinton, Massachusetts. Her mom was a 16-year-old singer. Her dad was an older Presbyterian minister. The family moved to St. Louis, and that's where Agnes first demonstrated a knack for acting. It started with her at the dinner table, imitating her father's parishioners. She made it clear she was a born performer, but after graduating high school, her father insisted she get a formal secondary education. And for that, she went to Ohio and her dad's old alma mater, Muskingum College in New Concord. She collected a bachelor's degree in biology in 1923 and appeared in several college plays. Those were her first steps on stage. You know, I did Google her, and she does look very familiar. I know I've seen her. She's been in so many films. Yeah, the Moorheads had strong ties to Ohio. Her father, Reverend John H. Moorhead, was born in Muskingum on land the family had owned for more than a century, having been homesteaded by Agnes's great-grandparents. In his lifetime, Reverend Moorhead had been pastor at several churches in southwest Ohio, and he died with his boots on, so to speak. He was giving a sermon at his Columbus church in 1938 and died of a heart attack right there in the pulpit. Agnes would eventually build Moorhead Manor, which she considered to be her vacation home, across the highway from her parents' farmhouse, which was in a little Muskingum crosswords called Rick's Mills. The farmhouse, by the way, still stands. But Agnes was no farm girl. She started off in radio because that's where she could find work. She became a voice actor in some very successful radio serials of the day. Her attempt to transition to film didn't go well at first. She was always being rejected for not being the right type. But she met the right people. And one of them was the famous director, actor, and writer Orson Welles. They were good friends, and when Wells made and starred in Citizen Kane, he picked Agnes to play his mother. The following year, she joined Orson Welles in The Magnificent Ambersons and got her first Academy Award nomination. In addition to continuing her career in radio and on the stage, Moorhead guest starred on many television series, and that's where she got her most enduring claim to fame. In 1964, she accepted the role of Endora, the quick-witted mother of Samantha in the sitcom Bewitched, one of the most successful shows of its day. She stayed with the show for eight years. While Agnes might have been born a performer, she never forgot her religious roots. Her fellow actors would later say she sometimes showed up on a set with a Bible in one hand and a script in the other. 
Agnes was married twice and had no children. In her later years, she spent increasing amounts of time on her Ohio farm. And after her death in 1974, she was buried in Dayton Memorial Park. Her will gave money to fund scholarships at Muskingum College. Now, I told you Agnes had a significant role in Citizen Kane. That movie always lands at the top of lists, citing the greatest movies of all time. You know what movie always ends up in the list of worst movies of all time? I'm going to take it's that Howard Hughes. <laughs> yes, The movie, Conqueror. <laughs> yes. It, and it's really kind of salt in the wound, because if so many people died as a result of making this lousy film, it would have been nice if it were a film worth dying for. The Conqueror was a Howard Hughes dream, but the guy was really eccentric, and critics say the idea was so ill-conceived. It cast John Wayne, the Duke, for heaven's sake, as Genghis Khan, and the fair Susan Hayward as his love interest, the daughter of a Tartar leader. Anyway, I, I read some movie reviews from the day, and it was brutal. They poked at the hokey dialogue, the bad acting, and the idea of John Wayne as a 13th century Asian warlord with a Fu Manchu mustache oh, and man. a fur cap. So even if there was no other controversy associated with this movie, it would have lived on in infamy. But the controversy takes this train wreck to a whole new level. Because when it came to shooting the exterior scenes, Howard Hughes picked St. George, Utah, a remote, dusty town filled with canyons and dunes. It also happened to be 137 miles downwind of an area in Nevada where the United States was doing atmospheric testing of atom bombs. And in the direct path of prevailing winds. There were 11 bombs set off in 1953, and 137 miles is not that big a distance for wind to carry radioactive fallout. I found a report that said a 51 kiloton shot and a 32 kiloton shot coated Utah towns in a gray dust that killed thousands of sheep. Much of the deadly dust funneled into Snow Canyon, where a lot of The Conqueror was shot the very next year. The filmmakers knew about the tests. It was no secret, but said they were assured by the government that there was no threat to their health. If spending 13 weeks on that radioactive site wasn't bad enough for the cast and crew, Howard Hughes had 60 tons of the dirt taken back to Hollywood in order to match the Utah terrain that would be needed for reshoots. So the toxic soil followed them. The first widespread discussion about whether the site had been causing the deaths of people associated with the Conqueror came in that 1980 investigation by People magazine. The writers racked up an impressive argument. The movie's director, Dick Powell, died of lymph cancer in 1963, that was just seven years after the film's release, and five of the six actors that received top billing all developed terminal cancer. The cast and crew weren't the only ones to have cancer scares. There were also Native Americans used as extras on the film, many of whom went on to die of cancer. And there were relatives who visited during filming who had health issues. John Wayne's son, Michael, developed skin cancer. His brother, Patrick, had a tumor removed from his breast. And Susan Hayward's son, Tim Barker, had a tumor removed from his mouth. There's actually a photo out there of John Wayne and his sons during a break from filming leaning over a Geiger counter 
that reportedly kept crackling. Oh, jeez. Yeah. For that People Magazine report in 1980, Dr. Robert Pendleton, then a professor of biology at the University of Utah, said the statistical breakdown, those 91 cancer cases among 220 cast and crew, equaled an epidemic. He said, the connection between fallout radiation and cancer in individual cases has been practically impossible to prove conclusively. But in a group this size, you'd expect only 30-some cancers to develop. With 91 cancer cases, I think the tie-in to their exposure on the set of The Conqueror would hold up in a court of law. But that thinking has not gone unchallenged. Skeptics point out that some of the actors were notorious smokers, including John Wayne and Agnes Moorhead. Before his death, Wayne himself blamed his lung cancer on a -a six-pack-a-day habit. Howard Hughes clearly wondered himself about the hazardous site. It's been said he felt so guilty about his decision to film there that he bought every print of the film for $20 million to keep it out of circulation. Though it's reportedly one of the films he is said to have watched repeatedly during his final years in seclusion. The movie was eventually purchased by Universal Pictures in 1979, and it is available again if you can find a copy. Anyway, the health industry, when talking about this case, points out multiple factors can cause cancer, and there is just no way to know if radiation killed anyone associated with a conqueror. But I'm going to close with an immortal quote in that People article which was attributed to a scientist from the Pentagon's Defense Nuclear Agency when he was asked about it. He said, please, God, don't let us have killed John Wayne. Oh, well. Now, there's another uh, famous Ohioan who lost uh, somebody close to him from, he blamed, you know, living near an atomic bomb area in Who's Nevada. That? Neil Armstrong lost his daughter of brain tumor in uh, 1961, and he was living pretty close to where some of the nuclear yeah. testings were. Yeah, and researching the story, I found numerous stories about people over there who just have done investigations just of the residential population yeah. and have found startling connections. Let's see what tonight's armchair detective has to say. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few 
of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. With us tonight is Lynn Taylor from Cuyahoga Falls. Hi, Lynn. Hi. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. Hey, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm Lynn Bundorf Taylor, actually, and I'm from born and raised in North Akron. When I was young, I graduated from North High School, went on to own a small flower shop in North Akron. And then after I was married, I married into the trucking business. So we had a small trucking company for a few years. I'm widowed now, and one of my favorite things to do is listen to good mysteries. Well, <laughs> and of course, I adore Ohio history. Oh, that's wonderful! You are in the right place, and we have the right person for this one. I got to ask you: Had you ever heard of this story about the Conqueror before? Never. Isn't that something? I mean, this may have been the event that killed John Wayne, for heaven's sakes. But, you know, I think a lot of people have never heard of it. I wonder if it's because it was one of the 50th worst movies. <laughs> well, that could be. I really want to see it. I really, there's something about, it's on my bucket list now. I've got to see one of the worst movies before I, I go. <laughs> So, Agnes Moorhead, I mean, it, you know, you're my generation, I think. Uh, tell me that you heard maybe of Agnes. Maybe a tad bit older. Maybe just a little yeah, bit. But, of course. So, tell bewitched. me you've bewitched. Very good. All right. Because Steve did not. I was shocked and disappointed. <laughs> I tell I'm, sure you. If you would have, I'm sure if you would have shown him a picture of her, he'd have recognized her right away. <laughs> uh, he looked her picture up, and then he did, but not from Bewitched. He said he'd never seen Bewitched. Okay. He's been robbed of a childhood. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, so listen, let's get down to the idea of these test bombs causing that kind of havoc in that area. I mean, did it all ring true to you? Did, does it sound right? Yes, it did. Very interesting in the in the story how you brought up that sixty tons of dirt was moved. That was uh, interesting. That was the gift they kept on giving. <laughs> they actually took the dirt back to Hollywood so they could continue being poisoned by it. But what do you have you looked into this at all? What do you know about that area and the lasting ramifications? Well, the nuclear tests, I mean, they've never been a secret. How many they did, I was kind of quite shocked. There were several explosions. And you've got to remember, this was shortly after World War II, even if it was, you know, 10, 15 years. We continued to test them. I don't really think anyone knew the damage we were doing to our environment. Right. That I'm pretty sure of. Yeah, the and year before this, the year before this movie, they had eleven tests, and I was really surprised to hear how 
the towns in that area, which were over 100 miles away, were covered in debris from these tests. I mean, the wind, the prevailing winds really carried it there. Well, one of the prime examples to me is, or most recent history, is when the volcano erupted in Washington, Mount St. Helens. We were all shocked at how far the ash traveled. Right. (laughs) If I remember right, we were having weather events in Ohio that had resulted from that. Well, in recent histories and studying them, we know that a, a volcano, when it explodes, creates a lot of dust and a lot of weather changes and a lot of wind pattern changes. And that dust carries far away. It makes me wonder, you know, the people that were in this movie were there for up to 13 weeks, but there are people who live there year-round, and there have been a lot of studies about the impact on their lives. Have you read some of that? Yes, the it's still St. George, and, you know, it's beauty. From what I understand, where the movie was actually shot is actually a very desolate area. So to this day, nothing exists there except maybe a few tourists, you know, tapping around doing a little hiking or rock climbing. Right. But so their exposure would be minimal. The people in the town, yes, They've suffered. Yeah, I've, I've read some really stunningly sad analysis of what has gone on for, you know, the rates of cancer among the local population. Well, anywhere and, we've had a nuclear accident. Yeah. You know, with even nuclear power. We know that there are long-term effects to the people, to the water, and to the ground. What did you think about Howard Hughes feeling so bad about this that he actually pulled that movie? I think it was a combination of a lot of things. You know, Howard Hughes, we all know he wasn't just a little bit eccentric. He was quite eccentric. And he was somewhat of a genius. And I am sure in the time he spent alone, this would be something that was caught in his mind. And maybe he, in his heart or in his mind with analysis, figured that it really was something to do with the nuclear testing grounds. And maybe he felt very guilty of, you know, uh, one is, we know the movie was a flop. That had to be upsetting. And then to deal with the effects of how many people he may have affected. And like we talked about, They moved 60 60 tons of dirt out of there. And how long were other people exposed? I wonder how long it was until they realized. It sounds like within six years, some people had been convinced that the radiation was taking its toll. And like I said, he pulled that movie. I have a feeling people knew more than they wanted to admit. We want to pretend like, oh, they didn't know any better. But it sounds like they did know better. But I also wonder about that dirt that they moved to Hollywood. If after six years of seeing what was happening, if they had maybe carted that dirt off somewhere else. I couldn't find any record of what became of that. But I got to imagine that they got rid of it. And we all know that when we dig up dirt, they take the top. Right. Right. (laughs) It's not like they 
hopefully it got buried far underneath when it landed in California, but that's even more scary. You know, they moved the dirt. We don't even know. You know, I'm sure they didn't return it. I know that now we have agricultural laws that forbid us to take dirt from one state to another, and they're highly protective of plants being moved, because it's not only when you move the plant, it's what dirt did you bring and what bugs did you bring and maybe what chemicals you brought, too. I think that there are still scientists and biologists and people that study our nuclear energy still walk around in hazmat suits in those places. And again, they're not cons- they're concerned about the long-term exposure. Where me and you, we could probably scoot on by, and as long as we didn't, you know, lick on any rocks, we'd be okay. Right. Well, there was that one picture, too, I found with John Wayne and his two sons and the director, Dick Powell, and they're leaning over a Geiger counter. And the cut line with this picture was that the Geiger counter kept crackling. And so they're looking at the Geiger counter. I'm like, okay, that's not good. Maybe you're not going to be living there. But if you're going to be spending weeks there, that might have been enough to... Although I got to say, in John Wayne's case, I mean, if the guy was smoking six packs of cigarettes a day, you know, I have to believe that would take him out. But as for everybody else, or whether it was exacerbated by some way of being, you know, in that lowering his defenses or or contributing to the cancer cells in his body. I'm sure it contributed. I'm sure, you know, one smoking six packs of cigarettes a day is not really healthy. And then you impact it with what he was exposed to. And then you have to think, how many other places are movie stars exposed to things? Wasn't it the Tin Man and... Uh, Wizard of Oz that got covered in silver paint. Yeah, Put one actor out. There was yeah, <laughs> there was a nice, new one. He had a bad allergic reaction to that. Yeah, and they had to get it a new actor. Off, right, closed off all the pores in his skin yes. and kind of poisoned him a little. Yes. It's so like, I'm sure being an actor is kind of like many, like firemen, uh, truck drivers, like my husband. They're constantly exposed to many different chemicals that maybe not the rest of us are always exposed to. Right. Absolutely. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. 12-Minute Mile is an indie rock pop-punk band out of Cincinnati. The band features Zach Hoover, Mark Eddington, Josh Roddenbush, Garrett Fenchel, and Jamie Schreiber. We've had the boys on before, and we are happy to feature them again. Keep up with them on Facebook or search for them on Spotify and sample all of their music. At the start of the podcast, we played a clip of their song, My Heart is in Ohio. Here's the rest of that song. Enjoy, and we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. My heart might freeze over If this night gets any colder
right and everything's wrong And I'm convinced you control the weather Cause it's so cold in Ohio My heart might breathe over if this night gets any story gets shared by a friend on social media or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.